Today we're going to talk about the hunter becomes the hunted. For the last few weeks, uh, we have digressed. We've taken a, a diversion from the main narrative of Acts that we're studying. And uh, we've been focused on a guy called Philip. And this was all found in Acts 8. Today we're moving on to Acts 9. But the diversion um, was important because it kind of emphasized uh, a very important message about the persecution of the early church. In the persecution of that early church, the church had been filled by the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. The church grew exponentially. Um, there was a very high time in Jerusalem, people coming to discover the truth uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, as things do, and, and as Satan works, uh, threats started uh, to be given to the church. There was jealousy, particularly from the religious establishment. And then those threats were realized as a persecution broke out. But chapter 8, when we studied Philip, and we studied him and the, the, the um, Simon the Sorcerer, we, we took a look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We see that even through the hard times and even through the persecution, God will build his kingdom. And just because there is persecution and suffering and hardship, doesn't mean that good things can come from it. And Simon is a great example of that. And so we get back to that larger narrative now. We get back to the big story of that early church. We left the early church uh, in Jerusalem really at the feet of a guy called Saul. Because as Stephen was being stoned, Stephen the deacon was being stoned for his faith in Jesus Christ, those who were throwing the stones laid their tunics or their outer garments at the feet of Saul. And that's why we start chapter 9 with the word, meanwhile. We've been away. We've been looking at Philip because Philip was one of the persecuted ones that got uh, sent, a, had to flee abroad to Damascus. Uh, and so, or to Samaria he went. And so now we're getting back to Jerusalem and what's going on in Jerusalem? And uh, we're back now with this guy, Saul, and he'll be the focus of our attention this morning. I'd like to read in chapter 9, 1 to verse 25. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I'm wondering what he's thinking. <laughs> he has been persecuting the church. And the head of the church has met him on the road to Damascus in a flash of light. And he has obediently gone to Damascus under direct orders from the one he's been persecuting. What would you be thinking? I know what I'd be thinking. What am I in trouble? <laughs> I'd be thinking, what kind of retribution am I in for? Verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, or you, coming and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Really? <laughs> but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Really? The one that's been persecuting the church is your chosen instrument? Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And when I'm thinking about these passages... My mind runs crazy because I think of all the things that we could kind of emphasize. And unfortunately, you don't have that choice. <laughs> you know that we're approaching this next section of Scripture, and Tim gets to choose what we're going to think about. And, and actually, I thought about doing last week's sermon again. Because to think that God would choose Saul to be his instrument to spread the gospel, the very one who is vehemently going about persecuting the church, just emphasizes what we emphasized last week. And that is that God's perspective on evangelism and who hears the gospel and who will respond to the gospel, his perspective is far beyond ours. Saul is not the guy that we would pick to share the gospel with, is he? He's the one we'd be avoiding. Anyways, we continue. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, wow, that was generous. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Saul, a.k.a. Paul, will play now a very prominent role in the rest of the book of Acts because he has such a prominent, significant role. I feel that his conversion holds a lot of very important lessons for us. Those of us who identify, don't you like being identified with the way? Saul's conversion was profound. In the score, uh, in the scope, I should say, of 25 verses, 1 to 25, and really in very practical terms, in a few days, Saul was transitioned from the hunter to the hunted. In Acts 9, 1, we read, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And then 9.25, day and night, they kept close watch on city gates in order to kill him. He goes from a guy who's trying to stamp out the church to one who is trying to grow the church. He's going out from a guy who was hunting down the Christians, the followers of, in the way, to, the, to one who is a promoter of the truths of the way. So what is it about Paul's conversion that is so important for us? Well, there's lots there. But the one thing that I think speaks to me about Saul, speaks to me about Paul, is his incredible commitment to truth. <coughs> you see, people get committed and have their lives shaped by things. Some people's life revolves around their family, others around their friends, some around work, some about are, are all about their possessions or, or their hobbies. I know, some people live up at Green Gables Golf Course. <laughs> I can't believe how many people I see up there, day in and day out. And some people just shape their lives around things that are their priorities. But to Saul, the truth was worth killing for. <laughs> right? And it became worth dying for. In other words, the truth was Saul's highest priority. It shaped his entire life. The truth shaped his attention, his focus, his lifestyle, his morality. All of the plans were all circled around truth. What is truth? Who is God? How am I to behave in light of who he is? Now, we know in retrospect... That Saul concluded that the truth that he was willing to kill for was limited and misguided. Even corrupted by the spirit of this world. We see this clearly in a passage that is incredibly challenging. He makes it to the 
uh, believers in Philippi. And essentially he's saying in this letter to the church in Philippi that the truth for him is what consumes him. And when it was what he considered to be the truth in Judaism, it consumed him. But when he personally encountered Jesus, who called himself the way, the truth, and the life, he became consumed with Christ. He writes, If someone else thinks they have reasons uh, to, put out, uh, to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, which means the Pharisees were big on obeying the letter of the law. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. So as a Jew, he was the Jew's Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. His truth was what he ascertained from the scriptures. And he was all about it. He was all about it. But then there's a but in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Saul's commitment to the truth should serve as a profound challenge to each one of us. When he found the way, the truth, and the life, it consumed him. It, his entire life revolved around Christ and knowing Christ. How profoundly does the truth shape our lives? Does it affect our attention, our focus, our lifestyles, our morality, what we do with our money, the plans that we make? Or do we simply accessorize our lives with Jesus? How insulting. Do we accessorize our lives with Christ? Give him some time on a Sunday morning? Obey some of what he taught? Did you notice the extent that he would go to, the Apostle Paul? He says he was willing to persist, participate in the sufferings of Christ. He was willing to die for Christ. Saul had a legitimacy problem. 
There was a lot of up-and-coming leaders in the early church. And they quite often tried to denigrate and destroy his reputation. And so Saul had to quite often defend himself. And it's in one of those defenses, when he's writing to the Corinthians, that we get an idea of what he actually ended up suffering for the gospel. He writes to the Corinthians, but whatever they dare to boast about, that's the guy's accusing me. I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Um, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on my on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. i faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but aren't. I've worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty, have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. But I do it all again for Christ, to know Christ. Because as I suffer, I identify with the sufferings of Christ. And one day, he says, I will die for Christ, just as Christ died for me. Paul's willingness to endure such hardship speaks of his uncompromised commitment to the truth. And serves as a real challenge to me. I don't know if you noticed, but in that original reading in Acts of, of chapter 9, when I, when I was reading through that text, there's something that's not often mentioned. But Ananias was told by God, go to Saul because, and this is what he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. <laughs> so, so this wasn't by chance that Paul or Saul was going to suffer. He knew going in he was going to suffer for Christ. Saul was shown by the grace of God that he would suffer. And he sure did suffer. There was no candy-coated gospel for Saul. No, Jesus can do all this for you. He's there for you. He'll be your best friend. He'll make your life good. Things are going to come together for you. Things are going to be all right. <laughs> Not for Saul. You're going to suffer if you do this. If you choose to follow me, you're going to suffer. He did not go into it blindly. You know, I sometimes wonder if we don't need to be a little bit more clear 
about this in our presentation of the gospel. You know, do you remember the passage that we talked about a few weeks ago? Or, yeah, or last week, about <coughs> the seed that the sower was sowing. And some of it fell on ground and, and it started to take root, but then the weeds grew up around it and choked its life out. The weeds, Christ said, were hardship. And we need to let people know going in that no, Jesus did not come to make your life perfect. He didn't come to give you an easy go of it. He didn't come to solve all your problems. He didn't. He came to save you. He came to change your heart. He came to make you acceptable to a holy God. And so I think that sometimes when we present the gospel, we can't decode it. But Paul's life, his conversion and his, his ministry just shows that hardship can be part of the will of God for our lives. You know, in Luke 14, Jesus said this, actually. He was very clear about it. He didn't want people to have misconceptions of what they were getting into if they were signing on as his disciples. He said these words in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have can't be my disciples. And that's what Paul's life says. He gave up everything. He was so committed to the truth that he was willing to give up everything. Do you remember the words of the call to worship? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then what did he do? What did he do? In his joy, in his joy, he went out and sold all he had. And he bought that field. Or it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he got one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had. It seems God wants us to understand what it takes to be a follower of His. And so the question is, how committed are we to the truth? Folks, I've got to tell you that I think that we fool ourselves if we believe we can be casual about our discipleship. We are fooling ourselves if we believe we can be casual about our relationship and accessorize our lives with Jesus. Jesus calls us to be consumed to the truth. 
to allow the truth to shape every aspect of our lives. Saul's conversion and testimony should serve as an example to each of us of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Is this your commitment? Is this my commitment? We're going to close with a song today. We're going to sing a song um, that really is a prayer. And it's based upon that passage of Scripture from Philippians 3. It's uh, what I'd call a modern hymn by Graham Hendrick. And it's knowing you. And it's, it's an opportunity for us all to respond to this challenge, the challenge of Paul's conversion, the challenge of Paul's ministry, um, the challenge of God to be all about him. It gives us an opportunity to do that. So I'm going to invite you to rise, and, and, and uh, Dale's going to lead us in knowing you. So this week, may we all be consumed with Christ. May we seek to know him. May we seek to live our lives around his truth. Boy, what a difference that would make. God bless. Have a great week.